Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. Jesus said, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as you have kept my, just as I rather have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. I have just read the first 11 verses of John chapter 15, this passage that we have been sojourning in over the last several weeks on this Sunday edition of the Beacon Broadcast. It is part of the Upper Room Discourse, which began in John chapter 13 and continues through chapter 17, and is the time when Christ is preparing his apostles for his crucifixion and resurrection and ascension back to heaven, his departure from them, and his replacement by the Holy Spirit to come and to minister to them after he has returned to heaven. It is an astonishingly rich section, and that's why it's taking us a long time to make our way through it, verse by verse, line by line, thought by thought, but it's well worth the effort, I am convinced. And so I welcome you to the Sunday, January 8 edition of the Beacon Broadcast. 
I remind you that we can only continue broadcasting as we receive financial help from radio listeners like yourself. And would you consider if the Lord would have you to be one of those supporting listeners? All right, well, we have been looking at this passage, and we need to remind ourselves of some important matters. And one of them is, what is spiritual fruit? This whole passage is about Christ's people bearing fruit. And the sober reminder that if we don't bear any fruit, we're going to be cast into the fire and burned. Fruit bearing is not an option. It is an essential It is an inevitable result of being livingly joined to the vine. We are saved by being in vital union with Jesus Christ. We are joined to him, and his life flows into us. And there's that life-giving connection, that life-giving relationship that we generally describe in other terms, such as the new birth and so forth. But here... It is described, or maybe I should say it is illustrated by the vine and the branches. And so we must be joined to the vine if we are going to experience divine life, that is, true salvation. But when we are joined to the vine, we are going to produce fruit. And what is fruit? Well, we have seen a number of things here. It is essentially Christ-likeness. It is the character and life of Christ that is being formed within his people. We are being transformed, the Bible tells us in Romans, into the image or the likeness of God's Son. So that's what's going on in the lives of believers. We are being gradually changed from sinful, fallen Adam, that's the nature we had, and have coming into this world, and we in the new birth are being transformed into the nature and likeness of Christ. A transformation, as we know, that will not be complete until we are in heaven, but it is going on now. It's not something that can await entirely till we get to heaven. It's not that we can live in this life without any transformation, and then when we go to heaven, we'll be transformed. But this passage makes it very clear that if we are joined to Christ in living union, there is going to be spiritual fruit, which is, in essence, Christ-likeness being formed within us. And if that is not the case, if there is no fruit, then we are going to be cut off. We We are not livingly joined to the vine. We are a dead branch. And we're going to be cut off and cast into the fire. But if we are livingly joined to Christ, there's still some operation that needs to be done upon us because we still are bearing the likeness of Adam along with the likeness of Christ. It's this puzzling and mysterious twofold side of our existence as Christians. Unconverted people are 100% Adamic. Born-again people are lingering remains, have the lingering remains of Adam, even while we have the new life of Christ, 
And so Adam is gradually shrinking and Christ is gradually growing. But it is a process, and so there are some things that need to take place in order for this process to continue and to accelerate. And that's the pruning that's being talked about in this passage. The father is the vine dresser, and he's going to prune living branches to remove those elements in those branches that are unproductive so that those branches can bear more fruit. I think we can all understand what this is talking about. God the Father is going to lovingly and tenderly cut out of our lives those things that hinder us from making progress in Christ-likeness. And so, we want to be fruitful. We are going to be fruitful, but what exactly is that fruit? And we looked at it on the broadcast last week. What does it look like? It looks like people who have an interest in God's Word. It looks like people who are serious about discipleship. It looks like people who are eager to obey Christ's commands. It looks like people who are developing a greater Christ-like love in their lives, love for Christ and love for others. It looks like those whose lives are filled with joy. Now, that's review. That's what we saw in the broadcast last week. Well, what are spiritual prunings? Now let's get to the other part. What is it that the Father is doing in our lives in order to make us more fruitful? Pruning, of course, is cutting away everything that is excess, everything that is defiled, everything that is damaged, everything that is diseased, anything that does not and cannot contribute to fruit-bearing. If it doesn't contribute to the fruit-bearing process, it needs to be pruned away. There is cleansing, that's verse 2. We are cleansed, though we are already have been washed. But we still need to be cleansed or pruned. And this is experienced by all true believers. Every son whom God receives, he chastens, is the way that the writer of Hebrews puts it. That would be the same thing, this pruning process that's going on. Every true believer is going to be chastened, which is an evidence that he is a child of God. God disciplines, and that may be a better term than the term chastening, though chastening helps us understand what is involved in discipline. There are positive and negative aspects of discipline, and we can't ignore the negative aspects, the the chastening aspects, the pruning aspects. But these are evidences of the Father's love for us, just like a parent with his children. A good parent is going to discipline his children. Children who are neglected so that they do not receive discipline are very unfortunate indeed. They have very bad parents, and they seldom turn out well. If they do turn out well, it's because somebody else has stepped in to do the job that the parent isn't doing, to help them with their their character formation, which is necessary if they're going to be productive adults, if they're going to be happy adults, if they're going to be satisfied adults. Somebody's got to teach them and 
Teaching involves both positive elements as well as corrective elements. Teaching involves reinforcing and encouraging what is good and right and proper, and it also involves correcting those things which are wrong and destructive and improper. That's what Jesus is talking about here in this pruning process. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So, what is the Father pruning in your life and mine if you are a child of God? And broadly speaking, it is Adamic sinfulness. But let's just talk about some of the elements of our fallen nature that need to be pruned. Let's start with pride. Oh, boy. Can't we start somewhere else? But pride, really, is at the root of every other, every other element of our lives that is not what it ought to be. It is our pridefulness. That's the source of sinfulness. That was the root of Satan's sin. Lifted up in pride against God Almighty. I will be like the Most High. Look at that passage in the Old Testament that describes this highest of angels, this glorious angel of light that God created, who was so proud of his superior position over the other angels that he decided that he ought to be equal with God. And so, in his pride, he declared the things that he would do and that he would be, and he was cast out of the presence of God and became the adversary of God and of God's people and is allowed by God to carry out that adversarial position because it suits the purposes of God for this time. But the time is coming when his leash is going to be jerked in and he will be allowed no more freedom, no more activity in order to hinder the people of God. But that pride that was at the root of his sin is also at the root of our sinful nature. We are proud people, and our pride is such that many times we don't even detect it. Or if we do detect it, we detect certain elements of it, but we overlooked other elements of it. It's interesting, isn't it? And it's a part of our fallen human nature that we seem to be able to see the, the uh, evidence of pride in other people's lives better than we can in our own. Isn't that the truth? We're, we're pretty good at, at identifying pride and, and uh, being, being ready to, to correct pride in the lives of others, correct it if we have opportunity to. But not so good to, to, to see it in our own lives. It's the old moat beam problem that Jesus talked about. How that so many times we have a beam, a log, in our own eye, but all we can see is the moat, the little speck in our brother's eye, and that 
speck in the brother's eye. Oh, that's so clear to us. That looms large to us, even when we can't even see the log in our own eye. It's a, it's a an amusing portrayal. It is really a ridiculous portrayal, but it gets the point across pretty well. And what Jesus is saying is, there's something about fallen human nature that can see the sins in other people when it overlooks the sins in ourselves. And that certainly is true of pride, because pride, as we said, is the, is the granddaddy of all the sins. It's the biggest one of all. It's the root of all the others. And so here we can see pride in somebody else. Don't tell me you haven't had thoughts of the pride that you see the lives of other people. But the question is, can you see it in your own, in your own life? You can see it in, in, your, in other members of your family, siblings perhaps, who knows, other people in your family. Oh, my they are so full of pride. I wish they would get rid of that pride in their life. And they may be looking at you and saying the same thing. Oh boy, he or she sure has a lot of pride in their life. I wish they'd get rid of the pride in their life. Well, that's the way we are by our Adamic nature. We don't see our own pride very well, but thankfully we've got a Heavenly Father who sees it all very clearly And he's going to cut and prune away the pride in our lives so that we can be more fruitful. It is the pride that that keeps us from being as fruitful as we would otherwise be. So he knows how to do that. He knows how to expose our pride. He knows how to wound our pride. He knows how to cause our pride to reveal itself, to flare up. He brings things into our lives. We don't enjoy them, but when somebody else will criticize us, when someone else will attack us in some way, and oh, how easy it is for our pride to flare up in indignation that they would dare to do that. But in many cases, what that's doing is exposing our pride. If we will see it, this is our Heavenly Father pruning. He's helping us. He's showing us these prideful areas that need to be addressed so that we can be more fruitful. And we can go right on through the list of inward sins. And you'll notice I started with the inward ones. When when the Heavenly Father is pruning us, of course he prunes away the external sins. He prunes away lying and stealing and immorality and so forth. That goes without saying. Really, those things are dealt with in the lives of God's children. And those are things that are not pleasing to the Lord. And he's going to deal with those. But it's these inward sins that we don't often recognize as sins that are the ones that are actually the most, the most uh, obstreperous, the ones that, that are the biggest obstacles to our, our fruit bearing. And so things like pride and envy. Envy. We've got to watch that one. I hope you understand that, how easy that is to creep up within us. We see something that somebody else has that we don't have, and envy arouses its ugly head, the green monster within our lives. We see someone else achieve some honor that we didn't receive, and maybe we thought we were more deserving of it than they were. And envy can rise so easily 
And there's so many occasions where envy raises its ugly head. You often see this in families among siblings where one of the brothers or sisters seems to achieve an honor the others don't achieve. And the godly response would be for every member of the family to be thankful for the honor that was bestowed upon the member of the family who received the honor. But sometimes, sometimes, brothers and sisters, instead of being thankful and happy for their brother or sister, they are envious. Sometimes it's not just brothers and sisters. I've seen parents that have been envious of their children. They want the spotlight. They want all the honor to come to themselves. They don't want their children to succeed more than they have or to receive more honor than they did or to be thought of as being more intelligent or more successful than the parents were. And some You say, surely, surely not. Parents are always proud of the achievements of their children and thankful when they succeed. Good parents are, but we're not always good parents. Sinless parents certainly are, but we're, none of us are sinless parents. And so pride is going to be pruned away, clip, clip, clip. Envy is going to be exposed and pruned away, clip, clip, clip. Lying is going to be exposed and pruned away. We would like to think we were all, as Christians, are all people of truth, and we ought to be. Lying should be put away from us. We should not be lying to one another. But lying like the others has, should I say, um, there are big lies and there are small lies. And many times in our, in our new birth, the big ones go out the window. We become people of much, much, much greater truthfulness than we were before we were saved. We understand the problem with lying and we learn to be truthful, but sometimes there are little areas of deceitfulness and lying that we're not even aware of. That's why the Heavenly Father, the vine dresser, has to come along and snip, 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 prune away those little lies that we would, as we would view them, those little areas of deceit that we think are acceptable or maybe don't, don't even recognize at all. And lusts of various kinds. And, of course, lusts can involve all kinds of things, lusts and desires for this and that. It can involve desires for material things. It can, as we often know, be lust for lasciviousness, lust for forbidden sexual activity. And that has come in like a flood tide in our day. Pornography is so easily accessible and has become a secret indulgence of many, 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 many Christians. You may be one of them. I'm sure that many of the people who are listening to this broadcast are involved in that just because I've seen polls and statistics that tell me how widespread it is, even among people who are truly saved and have been for a long time, give, give every evidence of being truly saved, how widespread it is among pastors, really. It's so easy. It's so, it's so, 
accessible. In fact, it's so it's it's more than accessible. It is aggressive. You don't have to go looking for it. It comes looking for you. If you use a computer, if you use a smartphone, if you if you are online, you are going to have to be on guard. And if you allow this to creep into your life, it is going to be a great hindrance to spiritual fruitfulness. It's it's a great hindrance to Christ-likeness. You cannot reconcile viewing pornography with being like Jesus Christ. The two just don't go together. And it's amazing how how people will justify that and say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just all in the mind. It's It's not... I'm not actually going to going to do anything physical. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to. This this is just um, this is just uh, harmless. Oh no, it's not. All I have to do is quote one verse to tell you that it's wrong. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, "You've heard that it's been said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whoever looks upon a woman." for lustful purposes, looks upon a woman with sexual interest and desire, has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, there's no way that you can tell me that the use of pornography doesn't violate those words of Christ. You can't view that pornography without arousing adulterous desires and thoughts, inflaming adulterous desires and thoughts within you. That's why you're going to have to put it aside. It corrupts the mind. It corrupts the heart. It's a an obstacle to fruitfulness. I cannot imagine how spiritually powerful... Christians would be, the, the, the wider church of the Lord Jesus Christ across the world, and if we want to narrow it down just to America, how, how immensely spiritually powerful the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would be if Christians who are members of churches would allow themselves to be pruned of pornography. And, and don't tell me, you who are engaged in this, don't tell me that it hasn't bothered your conscience. It may not be bothering it now because you may have dulled your conscience, but don't tell me that your conscience hasn't told you that it's wrong. Don't tell me that the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted you of this sin. Don't tell me that the Lord has not warned you that you need to get rid of it, but it's it's an addiction. It, It grabs a hold of people's minds and hearts and desires in a powerful grip Every bit as powerful in some cases as alcohol grips the the desires of the alcoholic, as the use of drugs grips the desires of people who are addicted to drugs. It's a very difficult addiction, but it must be dealt with. And God's Word gives us the answer. And the Holy Spirit indwelling us is going to help us with this. And God the Father is going to prune us of this. And that's some of the pruning that must be done if we are going to become fruitful Christians. Every branch in me, says Jesus, that does not bear fruit, that is any fruit, he takes away. 
and every branch that bears fruit, insert the word some, and bears, bears some fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God's goal for us is to be fruitful Christians. And therefore, he prunes us, and the pruning is necessary, and the pruning ought to be welcome. And every child of God ought to be examining his heart before the Lord every day, asking the Lord to show him what sins are present and need to be identified and need to be acknowledged and need to be confessed and need to be forsaken. And if we would judge ourselves, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, we would not be judged by God. But if we don't judge ourselves, judgment is coming severely. Until next week, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.